Job 1, starting with verse 19, hear now the word of God. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four quarters of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And then a few verses from Job 2, verse 9. Then his wife said unto him, Dost thou still retain thy integrity? curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good out of the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. And let's pray, asking the Lord to teach us from his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word, which is perfect and true. We're thankful that you have given to us a standard that is inspired and inerrant and infallible. We're thankful that it functions as a lamp unto our way, a light unto our path. We pray that you would help us to understand the words of Scripture. We pray that you would give to us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open and receptive to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are familiar with the story of Job. You're familiar with the story of his trials, how he was attacked by Satan and lost everything. He lost his wealth and his family. Job 1, he lost his health. Job 2, we know that he was a righteous man, we're told that repeatedly in the first chapter of Job. We know that he was a man of patience and endurance and perseverance, we're told that in James 5.11. He lost everything and faced unimaginable circumstances. When his friends came to visit him, they saw that his grief was great, Job Terther. 2.13. But despite all of this loss and sorrow and grief, we read that Job tore his clothes, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. Now this action, which is surprising because some of us would not respond in that way, I suspect, reflects his worldview which is anchored in the sovereignty and providence of God. Now, as we look at our passage, particularly verse 21, notice the things that Job confesses, the things that he believes. First, we are born with nothing, right? He falls to the ground and he worships God and he says, naked I came out of my mother's womb. We are born with nothing. We are born naked, and that's true for every human being, rich or poor, 
whatever race, male or female, born naked. It certainly was true for our children. They never were born with clothes. We had to clothe them. And the first thing they got was a set of diapers because that's just the way human nature is. They've got to be clothed. We are born dependent. Every child is born dependent on his or her parents. All that little one can do is cry and eat and sleep and fill those diapers. That's it. They are completely dependent. And as parents, you know, it is an amazing thing to be entrusted with these precious little ones, these little souls given as a gift from God. They are dependent and we remain dependent on God for our whole lives. And even though we might think that we're the ones who are in charge and are doing things, we are dependent on God. When the Apostle Paul spoke to the philosophers in Athens, he said to them that God gives to all life and breath and all things. We are dependent on God. In him, Paul says, we live and move and have our being. We are dependent on God. In all the days of our lives, his hand is on us. Psalm 139, verse 5. Our days are written in his book. Psalm 139, verse 16. Our lives must not be defined by our possessions and our stuff. Job lost everything, and that's described in the first two chapters of this book. But he blessed God. We have ridiculous blessings. If you compare our stuff, our possessions, our pleasures, our comforts, if we compare it to earlier generations, to your parents, to your grandparents, or your great-grandparents, we have a ridiculous amount of comforts and blessings, but ultimately everything we have comes from God. So we are born with nothing, and then the second point, then we die. Job said um, in verse uh, 21, naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. Came from the womb naked. There's poetic, poetic imagery here. We shall return, return thither. I read this as being that our lives, our human lives, our earthly existence is governed from the womb to the tomb, right? The constant testimony of Scripture. We're born and then we die. This indeed is the testimony we see throughout God's Word. God said to Adam, Genesis 3.19, Dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Abraham said to God's messengers, Genesis 18.27, I am but dust and ashes. Ecclesiastes 3.20, All are of dust, and all turn to dust again. Ecclesiastes 12.7, The dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God 
who gave it. We're Psalm 90, and this is one of my favorite psalms. And um, I, I hope that this isn't too uh, sort of discouraging or depressing, but this is the testimony of Scripture that the days of our years are 70, or if by reason of strength, eight, 80 years, and it is soon cut off and we fly away. Or this is what Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 6-7, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can take nothing out. All right, we're born with nothing, and when we leave, we leave it all behind. We can take nothing out. You can't take it with you. Or as I used to tell the children, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. So we'd be driving down the road, and there'd be a funeral procession. I'd say, look, kids, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You know, year after year, I'd say that, and the kids would be listening. And then my father died. And I told some of you this story before, but bear with me. My father died, of course, very sad. We packed up all of our children into that big old Schultz van. We drove up to Minnesota, and we sat through the funeral, and it was very sad. And, uh, you know, my father was a believer, and so on one level, we were rejoicing, but on another level, it was really sad. And so we're sitting there in the big Schultz van after the funeral. People are coming out. My mother got in the limousine. And then the hearse pulled out. And from the back of the Schultz van, my son Walter, my wonderful son Walter, some of you know him, but a teenager at the time, piped up and said, you're right, Dad, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> And the van went absolutely quiet. And I thought, how do I respond to this? <laughs> and I said, oh, you are so right, Walter. But your timing is way off, <laughs> way off. <laughs> well, you can't take it with you. We are born with nothing, and then we die from the womb unto the tomb, that's the bounds of our earthly existence. If you go to a cemetery, you'll see a birth date, and then you'll see a death date, a little dash in between. You know the year that you were born. You don't know the year that you die, but if the Lord tarries, we'll all have a tombstone with that death date and that little dash. Some of you know Tim Lee, famous evangelist, and he has this sermon preached at Liberty once, What's in your dash? And I've never forgot that. And every time I go to a cemetery and I'm looking at, you know, the gravestones, and I always think about well, what's in that person's dash. And so that's kind of aside from our considerations here, but we come with nothing and then we die. And just a thought, what's in your dash? Have you put your trust in Christ as your Savior? Are you living for the Lord? Do you have an expectation of what is to come? Do you look forward to the Lord's return? Well, we're born with nothing, and then we die. And third, God's providence governs our days. Verse 21, I naked I came out of my mother's womb, 
and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. And so this emphasizes Job's understanding of God's providence. The Lord gives. He gives life, health, breath, our daily bread, families, opportunities, and the Lord takes away. Sometimes our stuff or our health or our breath. Job explains it this way to his wife in chapter 2, verse 9. Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And sometimes we do. Blessings, sunny times, the wind is always at our back. We experienced happy providences. And shall we not receive evil? And sometimes we face dark days, privations, sorrows, and grief, and what the old Puritans used to call a frowning providence. But in all of this, we believe that God is sovereign and he rules all things by his perfect providence. We believe that God is almighty. He's all-powerful. He is sovereign. Well, we instead are finite, impotent, fallen, mortal creatures. We are dependent on God and his providence. And what I've just said to you is so obvious from Scripture, but it's the kind of thing that autonomous man hates to hear. The idea that we're dependent on something, dependent on someone, dependent on God is anathema to the modernistic worldview. And yet everywhere Scripture teaches us this. And so when the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 Jesus tells us that our Heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air and He'll take care of you. Our Heavenly Father clothes the lilies of the field and they are more spectacularly arrayed than even Solomon was and He'll care for you. You live, exist, and operate under the caring hands of of your heavenly Father. Listen to the words of Psalm 104. Psalm 104 includes a reflection on God's providence, his governance of all creation. Psalm 104, verse 27. These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That thou givest them, they gather, thou openest thy hand, and they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, and they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, they die, and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they were created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever, and the Lord shall rejoice in his works." And so God's providence governs all of creation, and the Lord is glorified in his handiwork. God's providence, the Bible tells us, is always 
purposeful. We read this morning from Romans 5, and in Romans 5, we read that we should glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations work patience, and patience ultimately works hope. In Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11, we read that our heavenly Father will sometimes chasten us but that yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Or listen to the language of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. You might remember that the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed that this would be removed from him. He prayed for deliverance. He prayed three times or repeatedly that the Lord would deliver him from this thorn in the flesh, and it didn't happen. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, we hear Paul's reflection on this. Then he said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Most of us will say that during times of difficulties, tribulations, afflictions, during times of difficulty, we grow the most because we learn to depend upon the Lord. We learn that His grace is sufficient. We learn that the power of Christ is adequate for every need. <laughs> but most of us say also, we'd rather not do that again, right? We, we, we know that the Lord is with us and helps us and sustains us, but we'd rather keep those times to, to a minimum. At the end of the book of Job, Job learns this lesson that God is sovereign and that God can do all things and that nothing thwarts his purposes and he is able to accomplish all his will no matter how inscrutable it is. If you look at Job 42 verse 2 and the other verses, you'll see his conclusion about the purposefulness of God's providence. Concerning providence, the Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way. I'll read from chapter 5, the first section. It's a marvelous summary of the teaching of Scripture concerning God's providence. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all his creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Now, that's a comprehensive statement, and it is a reassuring statement to know that our God is in charge. Look at the world around us. Look at the chaos of the time that we endure. Our God is is in charge. This Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, section 1, 
is what Presbyterians believe, or what they used to believe, or what they're supposed to believe. Sometimes uh, I've done this at the university, I'll have this up on the screen, and so this is what Presbyterians believe, or are supposed to believe, or what they used to believe. But if you'd like an example of what Baptists believe, or used to believe, or are supposed to believe, why don't you take a look at the London Baptist Confession on Providence, chapter 5, section 1. The students will look from one column in the PowerPoint to the other, in the back and forth, and then they'll say, <laughs> they're exactly the same. And I'll say, precisely, because both Baptists and Presbyterians could look at the Word of God and its teaching on the sovereignty of God and the providence of God and come to exactly the same conclusions. Let me read for you a Heidelberg Catechism question and answer. The Heidelberg Catechism is an old 16th century Reformation standard. And after a section on providence, then there is this question, question 28. What advantage is it to know that God has created and by his providence doth still uphold all things? So here you go from the theological or doctrinal to the practical. Right? You state the doctrine, and then you say, well, what's the advantage of that? How does that apply to me? What's the practical value of believing in God's providence? The answer, that we might be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and in all things which may hereafter befall us, place, we place our firm trust and our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love. Or my summary of this is that we're patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and confident about the future because we live and move and exist in the hands of our faithful and loving Heavenly Father. Well, we're born with nothing, then we die, God's providence governs our days, fourth, we bless the Lord always. Conclusion of verse 21, Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, there's something remarkable about this. I expect that many of us, myself included, would complain about the providences of God. These are sad and dire things that Job has experienced. But we read in verse 20 that he fell upon the ground and worshipped, and then he blessed the name of the Lord. We must always bless and worship God. This is true in sunny times when we experience bright providences, and our lives are awash with blessings. And righteous Job did this. In chapter 1, we find that he's a man of integrity. He's God-fearing. He's interceding for his family. But we must also have this disposition during tough times when we experience bleak and troubled tribulations and experience the frowning providences of God and this patient Job did, both 
in Job 1.21. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and in all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And in chapter 2, verse 10, what shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil in all this? Did not Job sin with his lips? We must always bless and worship God. I would add that blessing and cursing is a key theme here. Let me track you through the first verses of Job to explain this. Job 1, verse 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For God, Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. He's not only a good man, an upright man, and a faithful man, but he interceded for his family. And he didn't want his children to mistakenly curse God. And so he's offering sacrifices for his family continually so that they wouldn't curse God. Job 1.8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to thy face. And so Satan says, if difficult times come, Job will curse you. And those difficult times came, and we read in verse 20 that Job worshipped, and in verse 21 that he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then in chapter 2, Job's health is attacked. Satan endeavors to destroy him by taking away his health. And we see a picture of Job. He's scraping off the boils with a chunk of pottery. Verse 9, chapter 2, And his wife said unto him, Thus thou still retain thine integrity. Now this is really bad advice. But his wife is saying, What's it worth? Why are you faithful? Why do you retain your integrity? Is there any value to it at all? His wife becomes, becomes, as it were, like Satan's little helper. And then she says, curse God and die. And that's really bad advice. And Job looks to her and says, we receive good and we receive ill from the hand of God. Why should that surprise us? And he didn't sin. And so Job acknowledges God's providence. And God bless, Job blesses the Lord. Note that Job blesses the Lord. In your Bible you'll see the name Lord or the word Lord in all caps, reflecting the covenant name of God, Jehovah, 
or Yahweh. The name of the Lord is closely associated with the Lord. And so there's something significant about this. Job says, Jehovah gives and Jehovah takes away. Blessed be the name of Jehovah. Let me take you to Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, we find some of these themes expressed. Psalm 103, starting with verse 1. Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Let me stop to say that this theme of the Lord forgiving our iniquities is developed and explained with great clarity in the New Testament. We know that we're sinners. We know that we have committed iniquities. We violated the standards of God. And the wages of sin is death. And yet we have a Redeemer who paid the penalty for our sins. And in Jesus Christ, through grace, by faith, we have the forgiveness of sins and an everlasting inheritance. Who forgave, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemed thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee, with loving kindness and tender mercies. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, the flower of the field, so he flourishes, for the wind passes over and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. There's a really good word there, that the mercies of the Lord are from everlasting to everlasting. We receive God's mercy and God's grace in Jesus Christ, and that stretches into eternity. The mercy and kindness of God shall never fade away. Indeed, there's a promise that his righteousness extends unto children's children. And of course, it's our prayer and hope that the mercy of God will be visited upon the next generation, even as the scripture says, to a thousand generations. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandment, hearkening unto the voice 
of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, his ministers that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And I love that last part. As we bless the Lord and proclaim his goodness, we don't do it with our lips alone, but with our whole heart and our whole soul and whole mind, we bless the Lord. And so Job confesses, blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout our life and throughout the difficulties of our life, we bless the triune God. In Revelation 5.13, we read blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Now let me leave you with one point, and I will skip ahead in Job to Job 19. He said that we come with nothing, then we die. God's providence governs our lives. We should always bless God. And fifth, fix your eyes on Jesus. Job 19, verse 25. Sometimes you can see Job's faith sprinkled throughout the book, and this is one of those places. Job 19, 25, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. There's a wonderful promise of Scripture here that our Redeemer lives, and he shall return, verse 25. Job knows that he will die, that he'll go to the grave, that he'll face corruption, verse 26. But he also knows that he shall rise again and with his own eyes shall see him in verse 27. So when I say fix your eyes on Jesus as kind of a spiritual charge that you always look to your Savior, to our Lord Jesus Christ, but there's also a literal hope that one day we shall see him as he is. For the child of God has put his faith in Christ. There is the scriptural promise that we shall see him. I don't know if you know the name Stith Mead. He was a famous, fiery Methodist preacher here in central Virginia 200 years ago. Um, some of you may know that the Liberty has acquired uh, some years ago a Mead's Tavern, which was built by his father, who was kind of a frontier entrepreneur and kind of an establishment Anglican guy, but junior really got religion. He became a fiery evangelist. And he worked in this area, and there was a rock, and before he would go to preach, he'd kind of carve on that rock, and they found that there were certain words listed there. His own name, Stith Mead, but also God, faith, hope, and Job 19. And um, I have wondered why Job 19.25 was his theme verse. It's a great verse. And so one of my jobs is to kind of look, see what I can find of his sermons and see uh, what he says about that, but it's a great verse. 
for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And I hope you don't have the kind of trials that Job did, because his trials were enormous. But I expect that we will all face some kind of dark days, difficulties, different kinds of challenges and problems, some perhaps more grievous than others. But as we do that, we should have Job's worldview. That we've come with nothing, and then we die, but God's providence governs our lives, and at every stage along the way, we bless the Lord, and we keep our eyes fixed on the Redeemer in this life and into eternity. Keep your eyes fixed on the Redeemer. We know that God is our shepherd all the days of our lives. He walks with us even through the valley of the shadow of death, but his presence and his redeeming grace never leaves us, and we have the promise that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me close by reading from James 5, and we will let the words of James, James 5, kind of govern our reflections on Job's life. Listen to James's application of the life of Job. James 5, starting with verse 10. James 5, starting with verse 10. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And so in all the things that you endure, remember to be patient, to have perseverance, and to remember that our Lord is full of tender mercy towards his children and towards their afflictions. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this reminder of your sovereign power and your providence in our lives. Indeed, we all hope that we will have sunny days and bright providences, but we know there are dark times and difficult times. We're thankful for this reminder that you govern all things, that you stay with your people and shepherd them. We pray that you would help us always in every circumstance of life to be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, even as we keep our eyes fixed on our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who has secured our salvation and through whom we have the promise of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in closing to Psalm 104D from the Maroon Psalter. Psalm 104D. Let's stand together as we sing. Mm-hmm. 